Hey y'all. Hey. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Ink. Ink. A podcast devoted to uncorking the comics, films, video games, and TV shows that make up all things Inkdom. Especially as they both reflect and represent the rich colors of POC-centered and occasionally POC-adjacent narratives. All right. How are you doing this week? Uh, I'm good. I'm Gucci. I'm all right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Straight to the point. I see. For the first time in my life. <laughs> no, I think it's something about being a uh, week 85 in, in quarantine where I'm like, like, you it, know right? what? I'm living a Spartan lifestyle that includes the way I communicate. Mm, mm. I'm good. Yes. I brought home dinner. Just in grunts. Exactly. Almost just in grunts. Yeah. Well, I can't grunt. I'm too thin for that. <laughs> um... Well, my week. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. I'm also I've also grown selfish. Well, grown. Grown. Uh, right. <laughs> how was your week, Michael? Uh, my week's been going well. Super busy, but pushing through. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'm excited about um today's episode. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. This is always my favorite time of the bi-weekly schedule. Very true. It yeah. is a nice space to come, let the bundles down, mm-hmm. relax, relate, release. All that jazz. Yeah, and we're I think we're talking about some cool stuff today. As always. So yeah. So let's hop into it. Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. This week I am cosplaying as Panthero from the the Thundercat series because why not? Sure. He's a, sure. He's a black alien. He yes. Is. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me different. I dare you. That's it. Exactly. Waiting for it. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, Panthero exudes black energy. Oh yeah. Completely and utterly. Yeah. Um, he was the original mask for mask. <laughs> wow, I just realized he was really wearing um nothing. No, I mean yeah. Panther was wearing nothing. That's <laughs> yeah. what you're looking for. But what are the, what are they harness? Yes. He was yes. totally wearing a harness. And where did he whip out the nunchucks? The whole time. He did have nunchucks. No, I'm yeah. saying where did he whip them out of? Oh, I don't know. Cause that butt that, plug. Uh, that <laughs> all I'm saying, Panther was built for that f- for Folsom. Underwear utility belt thing that he had on. I don't know what he was yeah. All I'm saying is paint the uh I'm gonna say top. Paint what is this called again? The harness? thing he was wearing? Thank you. Harness? Simple words uh-huh. escape me. Uh-huh. Uh paint the harness black. It, give him a nice black? I think no, it was uh red and blue. Oh, okay. It was like, no, 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 no. It had spikes, didn't it? It had it spikes, spikes. And it was silver? The nunchucks are, were There were multiple versions of him, but... Next week, we'll present a full yeah. analysis on <laughs> the uh, core exploration of panthro and feline masculinity. I feel like panther was the first time I was like, wow, bald can look good. Panther first told you that? Maybe, I don't know. Let's let's revisit that offline. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this week I am cosplaying as Amanda Waller from DC Comics for a number of reasons. She's amazing. I love her. I mean, reason number one through 85,000. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. is an utter badass. Um, also, as I occasionally look out onto my imaginary veranda <laughs> and think about how our public officials are handling the corona crisis, I, I, I often wonder what Amanda Waller would do, aka what I would do with the Press shadow the government. Red Press several Press red, the buttons. red button. That's what you would do. <laughs> because it is crazy out here in these streets. So I hope that you all are safe and sound. And there's a line from a monologue from Julia Sugarbaker on designing women, where she prays that people with 
good sense will get power and people with power will have good sense and God give us the ability to survive until then. Amen. I'm butchering that, but the sentiment still stands. Yes. So I hear it loud and clear. Yes. I don't think Amanda Waller was a woman of faith, but you know, <laughs> there's faith always time money. to get right with the Lord. Faith in that money. All right. So we're going to get into what's coming down the pipe. Yes. For me this week, lo and behold, it is another video game. Oh my God, we're so surprised. Yes, but it's also a video game with a greater purpose, which I think I've been doing a lot lately, actually. Yeah, you've been on kind of a social impact game. And I promise I'm not searching out for this shit. I mean, I am searching out for this shit, but no, it's really coming to me naturally. <laughs> so I promise you I'm not authentically a good person. <laughs> right. I think the Lord is just telling me, hey, uh, use your, <laughs> your passions for something better than just sitting on your butt. Okay, <laughs> time to get right. Right, exactly. Um, so there's this game called NemoNet that was created by NASA. And players can download it. It's an app uh, that they can download on their iPhone, their iPad, their computer, whatever, wherever you download your apps from. And um, it lets uh, players virtually travel to the ocean's depths and identify and classify all the corals that they encounter there. Uh, The images are taken from real-life expeditions, and playing the game helps scientists create a better map of the world's coral and the coral reefs that are out there so they can help conservation efforts before all the reefs get wiped out and all that beauty and all that um, biodiversity is bleached or just goes away, and our planet is a lot less beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. now they NASA did this by attaching cameras to satellites and drones and other trinkets, toys and tools that they have on on their on hand and they basically went around to places like Puerto Rico and Guam and the Samoan Islands to take uh, pictures overshots of these coral reefs. But because of that, they need our help. Basically, with the game, you after you do the tutorial, you go in and you they'll give you a snapshot of one of the expeditions that the cameras took. And you go in and you color what's a reef and you color what's not a reef. So whether it's a rock or the ocean floor or maybe a fish or something that's in there. Um, and that and, and, and it archives all of that so that the scientists and NASA can can see like, OK, this is what's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And when you start off the game, uh, Dr. Sylvia Earle, who is this amazing uh, oceanographer, uh, she starts out by giving you a great overview of why our coral reefs are important to the world. And then she gives you this mission. So if you really want to feel like you're an important person or if you really think you need a higher calling or purpose in this world, I would definitely suggest to give this game a try. Or if you just want to be a good human. Or if you just want to be a good human. (laughs) Right. Selfless. You don't need no higher calling. Honestly, this is things <laughs> you can do from your couch where your ass has been since March. Yes. So yes, 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 yes. yes. So yes. yay crowdsourcing. I mean, it really does feel like I when I downloaded it and I started, it really did feel like I was in a, a press briefing or or some kind of mission briefing. Oh, cool. Where she was sitting there saying like, "Oh, okay, you are. You've been t- chosen and tasked to do this." Like, help us out. This is going to help a bunch of people save mm-hmm. the world kind of thing. So, yeah, it, it was a, it's a lot of fun. If, it's, if it is your mission and you choose to accept it, mm-hmm. help us save the planet. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Um, I'm not really into mobile video games, <laughs> so I will live vicariously through you on that one, friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, my what's coming down the pipe is Shocker, another television show. Um, although the last two times have been books, right? They have. You said you were going to go away from doing television shows, but what are you I... right back at? Television shows. The um, Lord is still working on me now. Relax. Mm-hmm. Also, this it is a time. very hard time. It like, takes time. Shit. Um, because TBH, I have not even bought N.K. Jemison's City We I was Became gonna, Yes. I was, was going to call you out. I was thinking of calling you out, but I didn't. You no, did we are we are embracing accountability in 2020. So, you know, hold me accountable. I'm, I bought some other things with uh, Trump's money. So we'll see mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> if we get around to it. I promise, I promise I'll do it. But this week we are going to be talking about um, Penny Dreadful City of Angels. That is what my coming on the pipe is. Yes. We talked about this in episode two of this season. So if you had not heard that yet, we go into full detail about what it is. You have time. Once again, what else are you doing besides playing Mike's video game? And also <laughs> <laughs> listening yes, to us. Exactly. So press pause on this episode. Exactly. Go back to episode two. You know what? Just watch the whole season again. Yes. That helps us. But if you have, you know, heard episode two and you just don't remember, like I didn't. Here is the skinny of it all. So Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, it is essentially the spiritual successor, Mike's phrasing, not mine, (laughs) of the Showtime original series, Penny Dreadful, which was a Victorian period supernatural series that involved iconic characters from Victorian horror stories. Mm -hmm. So you had the Wolfman, Dorian Gray, the family Frankenstein. So Dr. Frankenstein, his monster, and eventually the Bride of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. You even had this newish character who was a medium with a connection to witches and Satan. Bitch spoke the infernal tongue. It was fascinating. Ava Green played her. Is her name Ava Green? I think it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always get her confused with, not because they look alike, but because of the names, uh, Ava Mendes. Yes, no, this is this is the white one. Hey, yes. yes. <laughs> agree. This is the white this is the one, white yes. One. <laughs> However, none of these characters are going to be in... No. Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Instead, we jump forward to 1938 Los Angeles and we meet Detective Tiago Vega. And he is the first Mexican-American LAPD officer. Nice. Played by Danielle Zavato, who's from Fear the Walking Dead, and it mm. follows... And his partner, named Louis Mishiner, um, is played by Nathan Lane. So, the once incomparable. again. The incomparable Nathan Lane. I feel like I say this every episode, but my little gay heart went a pitter-patter. <laughs> and they um, are in this world right after an infamous Black Dahlia-esque murder shocks LA. So, the two become embroiled in this epic story that features... All the rich history of L.A. from the unknown or not unknown, rather, but from the uh, mm, not as widely known, that being the racist history of the development of L.A.'s first freeways to talking about Mexican-American folklore. You even have some Third Reich shit Mm -hmm. and also the rise of radio evangelism. So like big, I know I'm super excited. All of which seem to have something to do with this battle between a deity named Mike, help me out with the Spanish, please. Santa Lovely. That. <laughs> um, well, her, rather. Don't want to be disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, and a demon, Magda, played by Natalie Dormer, who plays Marjorie Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Who played... Uh, oh, yeah. She did play heart. her. She died well. She, uh, did she? That's all I got to say. I mean, the scene where she uh, go, where she talks to the Meisner? 
Meisner, she goes, that's the reason why Cersei isn't here or something to that effect. She said, you've killed us all. That's what she said. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. But God, I did. Anyways, and sure enough, bitch, fine. sure enough. Everyone died in the end. So mm-hmm. That show died in the end. So it's, it's completely fine. Factual. So I love this series or I, I at least I'm interested in this series mm-hmm. because of one, I love exploring the racist history of many of the ways in which our modern society has come to be built. Including our freeways. That is oddly specific, but welcome. Go off. And also, I am always here for the machinations of deities and how we as humans are pawns in a larger game of which we have no context or agency. Yes. So, all that has me on board, and it comes out this Sunday, April 26th. So, okay, that is, so it is right around the corner. Right around the corner. Nice. So, that is, once again, Penny Dreadful's City of Angels. Cool. And if I don't think I mentioned it, but uh, I don't think it needs mentioning. My coming down the pipe, um, Nemonet is already out. You can go download it. Download that now. Yeah. Watch Penny Dreadful on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Once again, you yeah. have plans now. Play it during commercials, you know? You're welcome. It's on Showtime. No commercials. Oh, but man. you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Wine breaks. If you're not whatever. wearing a diaper, uh, week eighty-five, <laughs> I will never get. <laughs> Have to you that truly point. lost it? I will. Have never you get truly to that point. lost it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, now let's get into the newsroom, mm-hmm. shall we? So uh, we all knew that this first thing was coming, but it doesn't make it any less um, hard for us um, and hard on us. San Diego Comic Con has officially been canceled for this year. Yep. Now, this is the first time that the 50-year-old conference has been canceled outright, which is actually very similar to uh, New York Pride because it's been, I think, 50, 51, 51 years. This would be 51 years. years. So, yeah, something about that. Corona just said, hi, I'm I'm (laughs) Corvid-19. (laughs) COVID-19? Corvid. Both. She is both. She gives she you looks. Both. She gives you a daytime look, which is COVID. Nighttime, God. she's Corvid. See, this is what happens. Moira Rose pops into my head, and I oh, automatically the, say the crows. Corvid. Yes. Um, but yeah, so it's it's canceled for this year, but it will be coming back for next year, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, on July twenty second through the twenty fifth of twenty twenty one. So Comic Con International put out a statement, basically saying that they recognize that countless numbers of attendees have already planned and bought passes for the convention this year and that many exhibitors and stakeholders have put so much money and time in planning this convention that they wanted to hold off as long as possible before they actually canceled the show. But unfortunately, continuous monitoring of health advisories by the governor of California and just the state of California basically came to a conclusion that going forward with the conference this year would not be okay. Yeah. Like, it has to be cut. So this was this was a decision that was made above Comic-Con. Um, by their parent company? By, not Well, by their parent company, but just by the state that it's held in. Oh, of course. Sorry. Duh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. They're yeah. <laughs> shelter-in-place orders, which yeah. does not include cosplaying right. in, in Anaheim. <laughs> right. What are you going to do? Move to Seattle? No. No. I mean, that place is under shelter-in-place. Where are you going to move? Uh, Mobile, Alabama? Exactly. Because right. governors all across the South, unfortunately, are just woefully 
lenient. Ignoring. Woefully lenient. Um, lenient is a, no. Dumb. They're <laughs> dumb. dumb, they're selfish, and they're stupid. They're bad people. <laughs> yeah, they're bad people. Just plain and simple. They're bad people. Um, <laughs> Normally I like my adjectives to have at least eight syllables, but they are bad people. So uh, those who actually already paid for passes for the conference this year and already paid for hotels through Comic-Con International's uh, vendors, uh, room and board, all of that, they are starting to get notifications about if they will be refunded. For those people who paid for room and board, they have been told that they will get full refunds back for Mm -hmm. those purchases. As for the passes, we're not sure yet. They are still sending out messages and communications about what's going to happen. Maybe they'll all roll over to next year. Maybe there'll be a partial refund. Maybe there'll even be a full refund. We don't know. We just have to kind of wait to see. You work in um, events. so In conferences, yeah. What's your take on it? Woo! um, Full refund in this economy? Sis. (laughs) Exactly. Partial refund? Probably. I mean, the very fact that they are willing to refund those who book their hotels through... This company mm-hmm. is great, mm-hmm. but a full refund for everything else likely not going to happen. I mean, their best bet is probably well, one from a public communications perspective, they are likely going to say, "We are willing to issue refunds, but we really ask that you instead." No, they're for profit. They're a nonprofit. Um, so they are for profit. They will likely want people to push over their passes to twenty twenty one. They'll likely make that available so they don't lose that revenue. Yeah. Uh, but also people are going to be asking for refunds, so they're probably going to have to hedge their bets with that. But yeah, um, ain't so, no way in hell everybody is just walking out of here with all their money intact. Exactly. So if you are one that likes to go to San Diego Comic-Con, if you were planning to go next year, maybe it was your first time, maybe it was your 10th time, um, and you like to enter the lottery for passes, it might be a a very small lottery next year. Well, well, one thing they could do... mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, there's a potential for that, for it to be a very small lottery next year. Very true, very true. I mean, I think also conferences that are being postponed um, will likely have to... A, in the short term, virtualize them. Um, B, they could also think about what are some other pre-conference, post-conference programming that they could uh, market or package literally and figuratively as an experience for fans. Mm -hmm. So people can go for Comic-Con the pre-show that might have some interesting stuff and maybe get access to additional live streaming for panels that are happening during Comic-Con. Because I guarantee you right now, if you are a conference company worth your weight in gold, you are investing and live stream and figuring out ways to virtualize yes. content. Mm-hmm. And they probably so. were thinking about going a virtual route this year, but they're just, with the amount of time they have to work with, there are just too many parties. The, unless you too have many things. Enough, unless you have a backup plan already set in place with something this large, that's not going to happen. Not only a backup plan, but just precedent. Because yeah, there are so many yeah. folks who want to, well, who thought about getting into virtual events, mm-hmm. but just haven't had the time or frankly the reason to, or yeah. to at least develop Divert so much of their resources to trying to figure out what a virtual event strategy will look like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine uh, them saying, okay, by the way, we're going to do this huge pivot and right. that and it, not having internal implications, let alone uh, <laughs> like <laughs> y'all can actually do this shit. And if everyone's asking for refunds, there goes your budget. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. 
for all of the, uh, to pay for I mean, all of these different revenue services. aside operating costs bitch exactly like, <laughs> right <laughs> there is no way in hell this stuff is not free but i also think that this means we're going to see very different large events and conferences in 2021 mm-hmm. and for the foreseeable future because of what's happening related to COVID-19. And hey, if you missed out on San Diego Comic-Con, New York City Comic-Con is in October. So fingers crossed, everything will be okay by then. <laughs> it won't get canceled. Ooh. They, I mean, they've already canceled New York Pride so or rescheduled. Ooh. No, it's been canceled. For this year. That ain't really canceled. That shit ain't canceled. <laughs> it's digital now. Fuck that shit. That ain't canceled. <laughs> what could be interesting, though, is if they hosted a series of Pride events in October and that, ooh, October, everyone's <laughs> going to be Pride, drink, 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 drunk. Yeah, that's going to be wild. But anywho. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, uh, this all kind of just leaves us with the question of how we're going to get all of the news that we would usually get out of Comic-Con. Um how is it going to be distributed? How is it going to be released if it is released? Yeah. Uh, this might not be a problem for some of the larger entities, but with smaller companies, indies, um, and whatnot, they might have a difficult time getting this information out there and dealing with, you know, the fact that this huge opportunity that they have um, has just been canceled. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be a kind of a gray area for everybody. Like you were saying the larger companies who have other means or at least the resources to develop other means to disseminate that information are going to and are doing so. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. But for some of these indie companies and smaller companies, they have to face a real question of not like how to release these news uh, or uh, make these announcements, but rather do I exist and can I exist right. in the next six months? Exactly. Which is a whole larger conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then can I put out this tweet related to X new comic book or X new game or X new feature coming out. Mm-hmm. I will say though that um, everyone is exploring new ways of trying to push out some of these announcements and engage with fans. And so, at the very least, they may not be able to um, immediately release that information, but they could learn from some of their larger competitors or larger brother and sister in. Mm-hmm in the industry mm-hmm. and then from there pick up some best practices to help them develop what makes sense for them resource wise and otherwise yeah this is the best time to get savvy on social media baby the best time. social media live events i have a friend um that just a year ago she made the switch to becoming a live a digital event strategist mm-hmm. let me tell you who's not hurting for a stimulus <laughs> check exactly exactly yeah because she already done had hers oh, several, several times, times. what's her name <laughs> she's single <laughs> you're not <laughs> um now there was also something uh that that we kind of realized um that jason schreider um said when e3 was canceled earlier this year well back up first off jason schreier the reason we're mentioning him is because yes. he is a Thank huge you. name and huge name nerd the, news yes huge name in um video game journalism especially video game journalism um he has been the i guess would whistleblower be a good name for it i Not don't want to say whistleblower but he definitely but has published a lot of he, exposés on the labor issues in particular labor yes. issues involved in the video game industry when it comes to crunch culture when it comes to pay when it comes to harassment in some cases yeah he's been there um and he's been the first to kind of get these stories and bring them out to 
to all of us so that we know what's actually going on going on behind the scenes of these like billion dollar corporations exactly yes but so when e3 was canceled he uh put out a tweet saying that the real hardship in these conferences getting canceled will come from all of the pitch meetings and the business lunches and all of the chance meetings um, that won't happen on the show floor and around because of this uh, cancellation. And I think that's really true. Like we were saying, a lot of these smaller companies who put a lot of their money just to be at the conference so that maybe they can shake hands and pitch an idea or pitch an idea or, you know, sign on the dotted line about some of these things have closing you know conversations um that's not going to happen that's true i feel like this moment will definitely be beneficial for those who have um online portfolios websites instagrams with their work i feel like they're going to fare better during this time Mm -hmm. because while there won't be these business lunches and chance meetings you can really just shoot your shot to creators editors the gatekeepers who aren't really doing anything during this time and looking for, at the very least, a way to stay active and engaged um, and, at the very most, new talent in Honestly, many ways and new properties. Right. Your biggest competition right now is Animal Crossing. <laughs> Shoot your shot. Animal Crossing, Mike's Mobile Game, and <laughs> Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Yes. That is purely what you're going to be spending your time on. Yes. And if you work in buying a diaper, <laughs> you're doing better than most. <laughs> I'm trying to synthesize. Oh, it's, it's a skill I'm working Come on. Come through, please. <laughs> but um, also, I mean, that is something that I really think that people are going to either rediscover or do and embrace for the first time. The idea of the cold call, the cold emails, the cold DMs, all that jazz. Can you believe that moms are right across America? What? Why don't you just cold call? Why oh my God, I hate you. an email asking, hey, do you have any positions open? Hey. AKA Nehemiah. Because I will tell people all the time. I'm like, look, as someone that has written several of these, <laughs> there, there is power in that completely. I mean, um, another uh, podcast in the blurred sphere for all nerds, um, one of their hosts, uh, DJ Ben Amin, who's also a screenwriter, he said, point blank, I'm not working on anything and I would love to collaborate. So mm-hmm. shoot your shot. Yep. The only thing standing between you and me is a DM. Just make sure you have a solid idea with solid um, work to back it up and let's start something. So mm-hmm. for all of you folks out there, indie creators, folks who want to get involved, do so. I mean, definitely shoot your shot. I'm not saying, you know, subscribe to the culture of toxic productivity during this time. Right. If you can't create, if you're having a, a creative blockage right now, deal with that. Don't feel like you have to push, push, push through. No. But if you do, you know, want to DM that person mm-hmm. that you want to interact with, at the very least, let them know that you exist and you are a fan of their work. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Couldn't say it better myself. Um, and that's all that we have for the Comic-Con, I think, Yes. topic, right? I so, think so. I think they're the only ones we're waiting on are, um, well, WonderCon by nature is canceled WonderCon because it's canceled, yeah. under I the mean, same company as I don't know if it's the Comic-Con. next big one, but it's, it's the next one. Well, no. So the next one that we would probably go to would be FlameCon here in New York. Um, baby and that's in August so I'm thinking that's probably going to be canceled as well I think that'll be canceled not because we're going to be under quarantine but ain't no one I don't think people are going to want to fly long distances yeah 
Yeah. For a while. And while Comic-Con is definitely a New York, or Comic-Con, sorry, FlameCon is definitely a New York entity. At the same time, in the last two two years, two, three years, it really has. It has attracted people from Walla Walla, Washington to Willacoochee, Georgia. Yes. And all come into FlameCon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, they've definitely had to change venues because the, uh, the turnout has gotten that big. So, um, it's great. If you are in New York and if it does move ahead, um, definitely try to get a ticket. It's a great, um, LGBTQ queer friendly, um, yeah. Con, like geek, nerd, everything you can imagine, whereas anime, comics, movies, film, all, board games, all of it, video games, all of it. Yeah. Um, definitely try to go. And we'll be there, so let us know if you are, and we'll maybe meet up, grab a coffee, mm-hmm. uh, probably grab a drink. <laughs> yes. That's actually more likely than grabbing a coffee, yes. because you drink coffee, I, I rarely drink coffee. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, we'll be there. So. <laughs> um, and then after that, it's probably like New York Comic Con. Yeah, which yeah. you'll be there. Well, now that I... I need to apply. I... But we'll see. Okay. All that jazz. Yes. But you know what? Let's Anyways, uh, keep it pushing, Queen. Moving on. Moving on. Let's talk Dune. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dune. Dune. Dune's a lot. Y'all, like, Dune... I wasn't ready. I mean, for those of you who have... Who yes. are familiar... First of all, if you're familiar um, to it... Great. You're already beating a lot of people. Including us. <laughs> yes. Even though I will say we were kind of familiar to it. At least I was. I was familiar with the imagery from Dune. Okay. I was not familiar with the characters. Well, I was not familiar with the story. Yeah. I mean, Dune has inspired so many things. Dune has inspired parts of um, Star Wars. Dune has inspired parts of uh, Game of Thrones. Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I it's... can also see it inspiring... Um, I wonder which came first. I feel like... So, Dune... Well, I don't want to cut you off or anything because I probably Lord of the Rings came. Let's first. no, not that. Oh, okay. Um, cool. I was thinking of uh, Mad Max. I I, I want to say Dune came first, but who knows? Who knows? Well, who knows? Let's uh, set some context. Yes, for we'll folks. set some context. So Dune is this massive science fiction franchise that originated with the 1965 novel Dune <laughs> <laughs> by Frank. Herbert. Um, And it's continued to pump out new publications up to 2017. And that's when the last one came out. Yeah. Um, It's frequently been cited as the best-selling science fiction novel series out there in history. Um, It's won Hugo's. It's won Nebula's. And it's been adapted several times in film and in miniseries. So it's it's a lot. Like (laughs) I said, it's big. It's big. Um, it's set thousands of years in humanity's future, a very Star Wars, Star Trek type of setting where traveling by light speed is available. So the human race has branched across the galaxy and taken over and spread their, ooh, I was going to say seed. No. I mean, that works. (laughs) Spread their, literally and figuratively, they've spread their seed. Yes. And their unfettered capitalism across the capital. Basically. (laughs) And consumption. Yes. Across the damn galaxy. Yes. So there's like a supreme ruler and a ruling class. um, And the main conflict of Dune uh, rises between House Atreides and House Harkonnen. And it basically is over this planet named Arrakis, which is also known as Dune. Um, which is a nickname because on Arrakis, there is entirely desert. There is no precipitation. Water is very, 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 very scarce. Um, And of course, 
this planet has this special life extending drug um, which also has some kind of like mental altering properties that gives people certain people powers mm-hmm. called um melange or like most people in the series like to call it the spice the spice got some of that spice yes um that old spice um so yeah this 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 spice can only be found on arrakis and it's a dangerous situation because the planet Arrakis also has these things called sandworms, which is a big uh, plot device mm-hmm. in, in the series, which are these huge worms that live in the sand. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I, I was very confused about what a sandworm was. Right. Michael. So, so thank nuance. you so much for that clarification. <laughs> um, I, I feel like it, it, until you fully explained it, the name, you know, barely scratches the surface I know, I know. of what this creature is. Right. Like, Wow. The minds, the minds <laughs> behind sandworms. Herbert, the mind. <laughs> but think um, that worm in SpongeBob where um, SpongeBob and Patrick thought it was a cave, but it was really a worm's mouth. Think that size or maybe um, Jeff from Men in Black, oh, 2, Men in Black 2 when he was in the subway with the little flower. I mean, even uh, Tremors. Yeah, Tremors is another, another good um, parallel to what these sandworms are yeah or even hell star wars they have sandworms yeah the they have sandworms yeah the huge ass sandworm why did we go there i know (laughs) anyway more minor things but um but yeah so that's that's dune in a nutshell quick but not necessarily i mean the goal here was brevity yes <laughs> not necessarily accuracy right so right. bear with us and more importantly fill in the the blanks where we didn't have time to fill exactly and if you yes. know that sparks some interest go do your research um, now Warner Brothers released recently released a slew of photos from the upcoming dune film the i wouldn't really call it a remake it could be no it's not really a remake is i'm it? just gonna say it's a film uh, the dune film the 20 the latest film in the dune series we'll say that we'll say that um and besides oscar isaac looking daddy as fuck baby um, the snack if you haven't seen seen it like go 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 google it Go 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 google it yes i, I, I heard that it was amazing uh, i've y- seen that it was amazing yes um there... I, I can attest <laughs> right I, can, I have seen the mountain i, I, I have proof <laughs> um there are some other cool things that we found out because of these these photos that were released so first off the set and the costume design look amazing it's gonna be a beautiful movie i'm not surprised the director is the same director behind um uh, uh blade runner 20 yes, blade runner 49 mm-hmm, 2049 uh is it 2049 yeah i thought it was 20- you know what yes uh, obviously not blade 2020 so yes, i know <laughs> i was i was skeptical because you fell asleep during the movie whereas i stayed awake during the whole thing i thought okay first off not my fault how dare you play ambient noise as a part of the damn score i was in the dark i can't believe you fell asleep on your date <laughs> I was on a date. I'm going to sleep. Sorry. <laughs> Most people don't interest me. Uh, this, is this is true. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be a beautiful movie, a beautiful looking movie. And then secondly, everyone is in this film. Yes. Like, no joke. We have uh, Timothy Chalamet. We have Rebecca Ferguson. We have Oscar. I can sack me anytime. Uh, we have Zendaya. Queen. 
We have Josh Brolin. We have Stellan Skarsgård. We have Sharon du- Duncan Brewster. Um, there's also um, Dave Batista. Dave Batista. There's Jason Momoa without beard, sans beard. Not sure how I feel about that, but all right. <laughs> and there's Javier Bardem. Okay. Yes. Both of which so, I will take. A lot, a lot of people that we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and, we're quite fond of. Yeah, that we're yeah. quite fond of. So I think it's going to be nice. I think it's going to be nice. Or at least it'll look pretty. Yeah, it definitely look pretty. Um, so we wanted to go into a few character deep dives. Maybe not so there deep are, dives. okay, well, first off, there are at least, I think, um, just for context, we're not familiar who, with uh, Doom, the series. The characters that we play by Oscar Isaac, he is playing this character named um, Duke Leto Atreides. Yes, yeah. So he's basically the House of Atreides, um, which uh, I mentioned before is one of the two warring houses over this planet, and he is the father of the protagonist, which is uh, who is Timothy Chalamet's character. Mm-hmm. Um, he is he's a good duke, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good duke. He is. Like Well, yes, he, yes. Yeah. Out of the two, he is Out the, of the two warring houses. Out of the two warring houses, he is definitely the good one. The the images from that that uh Vanity Fair released in their mm-hmm. first look kind of make him seem domineering, kind of make him seem overbearing, which he could be. I you mean, know? I know several things he can dominate. Child. If he needed the character study, I know Child. several things he could dominate. Yes. There are several Oscar Isaacs and each one of them can, <laughs> we're not going to finish that. But, um, yeah, so, but he is the good, he is the good Duke and, um, I won't go into spoilers, but just know that he is a, a very important figure. He is the head of his household, um, and he runs shit. He really does. Yeah. Then there's, um, Zendaya's character, mm-hmm. Chani. Who... Yeah, she essentially is, in the book at least, the legal concubine of the protagonist. So, for some reason, and I'm not sure how they're going to do this, but Zendaya is supposed to be, uh, I guess, subservient to Timothy Chalamet's character. I'm being glib here, the, but like... Ooh, the optics on that. <laughs> factual. But yeah, in the book, she is the concubine of the protagonist. And in the original film, she is the love interest of uh, Paul, which is Timothy Chalamet's character. So, uh, I've only read a few things about the character, have not watched the movie, have not read uh, the book, but what I can tell you from a very cursory glance is that she seems to have been given the good old accessory role mm. to Paul. Yeah. She is his concubine, she's his confidant, she's his friend. There's some other stuff that happens in the story that I don't want to spoil for you all, but yeah, that's pretty much uh, the role for that character. Mm-hmm. And. While we're likely going to see probably a more well-rounded character because it's Zendaya. Um, Or at least hopefully. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we'll see. In fact, actually, I think what they'll probably do is they'll probably... Maybe not create a flat character, but give her predictable beats to establish a character and her motivations. All that good, you know, Mm -hmm. character work. Mm -hmm. All that jazz in hopes of having a sequel so that they can actually round out the character. So it's it's a two-parter. Oh, it's the two-parter. Yeah, they're splitting the movie in two parts. Ew. In the beginning? What? No. I mean, just, well, I guess the first book, I would assume. Well, Doom was... split into two parts. Doom, Doom was... What, six or seven books? The whole series? I don't know. I, I have believe. no idea, but the first movie was um, two and a half hours, and it was the first book. 
Right. So maybe, yeah, maybe they are doing the first. Yeah, I think they're splitting the first movie and doing it in two parts. That is new. Most people wait until the last movie to split into two parts for I doubt it's marketing the whole series and revenue because reasons. that just wouldn't make sense. There's too much there. No, 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 no. I meant, so, no, not the whole series. I was saying that most properties wait until the last film in oh, the yeah. series to True. split it into. You had True. your Twilight, your Harry Potter. At least most properties in the um, 2010s factual Mm -hmm. so we'll see yeah now i do know a little bit more about chani she um is from um arrakis and because of um, her people the freeman they consume um the spice on a regular basis on a regular basis we'll just say that yes Mm -hmm. breathe it in breathe it out um she kind of has this kind of like like i was saying some people when they consume it there they have this um this mental altering where it kind of gives them superpowers not really superpowers but enhanced, enhanced enha- a hand state of a being yeah, yeah yeah so she is one of those and um it also gives her very blue eyes her whole um all the indigenous people on arrakis kind of have these very blue eyes because they've been uh, consuming the spice and uh to top that all off she's kind of the one that guides paul well, yeah she these does weird dreams that she shows up in and eventually when he becomes the messiah well not a messiah sorry when when he becomes a hero yes and savior to these people the people from which zendaya hails mm-hmm. um she is the one zendaya i would say zendaya you're right zendaya my mm-hmm. apologies from which zendaya hails um yeah she is there to support him in this new role that he is in yeah yeah uh, but enough about her. We'll see her more later. Yes. Um, Jason Momoa. Now he is playing Duncan Idaho, who, as Nehemiah said earlier, is the most mask. I'm telling like, you, sh- name you could ever. You want him <laughs> to? You want him to just literally like wake up in the morning, rip a tiger in half, take the tiger's tail, choke a lion, take the tooth from a lion kill and gut a bear climb into the bear like leo did Mm -hmm. in the revenant but go beyond leo and then have sex in the bear (laughs) with the female concubine that comes out of nowhere not not zendaya but uh but definitely female concubine yes and then somehow make his way to the white house (laughs) to put america first well i don't know if he'll be doing all that but this is the duncan idaho (laughs) yes that America apparently needs. Apparently. Apparently. But uh, he is a mere sword master <laughs> of House Atreides. I'm not far off, though. <laughs> not far off. Not far off. But um, being a sword master, that pretty much just uh, makes him a badass in this world. Uh, because in this world, most people, at least people in uh, the warring houses and people in the army and people who fight... They have these energy shields on the, along their bodies. And since it is the future and we no longer lo- use physical bullets, we use energy weapons or whatever. Makes sense. If they sh- if an energy weapon shoots the shield... Ugh, t- say that 15 times fast. If an energy weapon shoots the shield... There we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> it'll explode and both people are going to die. So most people have resulted to using swords and daggers when they fight. And there's this special um, 
martial arts that's been developed around using a sword and dagger mm-hmm. in this universe that uh, Jason Momoa's character is a master of. I feel like somewhere Captain Nemo from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is smiling because he has one of my favorite lines in that movie. When someone tells him to draw his gun, mm-hmm. he draws his sword and says, I live by a different weapon or something like that. I love it. I love yeah, it. I, I just love that. Well, I don't love that movie. I love Captain Nemo no, in that he was movie. He was amazing. He was Yes, cool. he, he can cool. also get it. Look, don't don't at me at your mama. I love. <laughs> I'm fine. I loved his designs. The Nautilus was amazing. Uh, Nautilus. The the limo with multiple wheels. That was is true. Amazing that as is well. true. But um, back to Jason Momoa. Oh, one brief thing. We are definitely going to have a for the culture, or at least an episode with a significant amount of the episode devoted to talking about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I'm about that. You can even do your Sean Connery accent. Oh, no, ma'am. <laughs> no, ma'am. We want people to come back to the podcast. You're right. You're right. That's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Never see the light of day. But yeah. Also, Jason Momoa kind of could potentially be the perfect casting for Duncan Idaho. Um, in um, the original material, um, Herbert said that the character uh, had black curly hair, a dark complexion, and green or blue eyes. Okay. Now that I read that out, it's not really that specific. I mean, so... that sounds ethnically ambiguous enough to be Jason Momoa. <laughs> right, exactly. Or possibly John Stamos. I, so. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. Yes. <laughs> glad it is the, uh, the former. Definitely mm-hmm. glad it's the former. So, all that to say, there... We have a very diverse cast, yes. Um, and the film even race bends and gender bends a character from the source material um, named Lit Keynes, uh, who was originally a white man. Uh, sorry for the pronunciation of that word, if it was wrong. But <laughs> he meant, Yeah, white. He's, he's so sorry if that word is pronounced wrong. Sorry, yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry to this man. <laughs> but um, this was originally a white man um, and the father of Chani, who we said was Zendaya, Zendaya's character. Um, but in the new film, the character is a black woman portrayed by Sharon Duncan Brewster. And that's really cool because this character is a planetologist. So that's really cool to see a black woman be te- possesses awareness of the entire planet. But there is a slight underside to this. Yes. So not only is she the planetologist, but um, she since she is originally from Arrakis um, and she works for House uh, Tratus, she is she has the job of making sure that their basic basically their takeover of the planet goes smoothly, and they don't uh, brush arms too much with uh, the original um, the the native people with there. the native folk. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So she's a little Uncle Tomish, at least from what it seems. I mean, not I wouldn't say Uncle Tomish, but she's definitely uh, the character that is part of the indigenous community and she's there to to help them um get cozy with the locals right right so to speak Mm -hmm. um and the very fact that she is a woman of science also bothers me it's like girl you're not like uh you're not this uh i can't even think of uh, the term i'm looking for oh gosh in the mummy essentially you're not a bad person like you're not (laughs) you, you you aren't this swindler right Mm-hmm. You actually have vital knowledge that can help this planet, and the very fact that you're using that in service of 
this scheme and strategy of oppression and extraction and colonialist project. Like it, it I can't. But once again, haven't read the book, haven't seen the film yet, so there might be more nuance there. Highly doubt it, and I'll leave yeah. it at that. Scientists for science tend to be the same in um Entrapta. different medias. Yeah, very entrapta. You just want to know what the hell's going on out there in the universe. So whatever feet you step on, um, it's that's that's just what it takes. Look, truth by <clears throat> any means necessary is a dangerous thing. Yes, for anyone. But uh, if this conversation about Dune has piqued your interest, or if you are just curious beyond any means, um, the film is set to hit theaters this December. Yeah. Hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, that still happens, and we're sure to get more news about the uh, the film uh, up until you know in the coming months. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely say that the reaction to the first looks and just the movie and uh, the movie as a whole um, is pretty mixed for the most part. You have some folks who are just excited by the imagery of it all, which is really exciting to see. I mean, mm-hmm. when we first saw it, I was definitely excited by the imagery, but for those who are familiar with the book or familiar with the movie, they definitely have a lot to say. And I feel like that side of the reaction uh, or set of reactions is really encapsulated very beautifully by media critic Fangirl Jean. Uh, We found her thoughts by way of N.K. Jemison, who Mm -hmm. retweeted this lovely, beautifully articulate thread of responses to this film. And to sum it up, one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) First off, zoom back out. Her analysis of the film and of the story is one of the reasons why I am skeptical about the movie, but also why I want to watch watch the 1984 version of it. Exactly. One, just to be informed, but most likely, but but more importantly, I really want to see all these dynamics on screen for my own edification. But she talks about the fact that while the casting is, you know, racially diverse, there isn't anyone from Middle Eastern or North African descent as a main actor or even in the cast which is an issue because the likely ethnic background of these indigenous people would be that yeah. <laughs> or, the, or, or those sets of, of ethnicities and nationalities. Not to mention that the fact that the story frames these folks as religious zealots whose religion was actually made up by outsiders as a tool for political control. So there is that. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that Paul Atreides is this messianic figure who also happens to be this white colonialist shocker. <laughs> right. Bred in this eugenics program ran by the same people that are trying to indoctrinate these indigenous folks into believing that Timothy Chalamet and all his peaches are the savior. <laughs> and to top it all Call off. Call me by your spice. Look, exactly. Oh Call me by your spice. And to top it all off, if you had any hope of this modern adaptation really contending with the film's racism, xenophobia, white supremacy, she presents as her mic drop. Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we didn't do that well, how in the whole fuck are we going to possibly rightfully contend with the history, uh, context, and underlying racial histories and, and myths it's telling through this movie? Like, every for the most part, people love Daenerys. <laughs> yeah. So there's a model for this character and this type of character succeeding in modern enlightened woke times yeah yeah so yeah i mean once again have not seen the movie haven't read the book yet but this this very uh brief and deep analysis 
makes me want to watch the movie even more. Not mm-hmm. the 2020 version, but the 1984 version. Because I think we all should start from the source and then from there, track our expectations accordingly. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, um, I agree completely. Um, and once again, it'll hit theaters in December. You can go and watch the original now. I think it's on Amazon Prime. If yeah. you have Amazon Prime, I believe that's the only place you can find it. Or find it played on a streaming site. There are other ways in which you can find it. I mean, it. legally find it. Uh, <laughs> I the, think movie's that's a, it. the movie is that's, an exercise in like white supremacy. Um, Go ahead and, and pirate <laughs> that movie. <laughs> It is fine. David Lynch, the 1984 director, dropped his damn name from that movie. You ain't hurting nobody by pirating that film. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's it for the newsreel this week. <laughs> yes. Let's get into For the Culture. now time for for the culture all right so um this year yes a very important year for a number of reasons mm-hmm. it is the year that uh coronavirus wrecked everything <laughs> that's it that's you can stop there i think um yes yeah i'm already on the verge of tears very much so yes um but this year was also the 20th anniversary of up up and away God. Disney Channel's Up, Up, and Away. Um, this movie, Christ, black superhero family, the youngest, doesn't have powers, is coming of age, mm-hmm. wants to gain some powers, more importantly, wants to prove that he is deserving of the family legacy, fakes it, gets discovered in the end. Also, there's this backdrop of the villains who have both an eco-mission, but also are trying to brainwash children. Yeah. It's a lot of Disney Channel original movie formula, but also there's some some twists to it as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But before there was a CW's Black Lightning, before there was Sky High, Zoom, The Incredibles, before T'Challa and Shuri were on the big screen, there was this family. Yes. So in the spirit of quarantining with family, either blood, fictive, fake, literally yes. or figuratively, imaginative, uh, imaginative mm-hmm. in real life or virtual, we have decided to revisit this movie. Its role in our childhood, its place in the bigger legacy of superheroes of color, and how this movie explores the theme of family and legacy. Cool. Let's go. So, Mike, you have uh, memories. Some. Of this movie. I have a few. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> In what general. I, sure. <laughs> More memories than I do, honestly, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I would love to hear, you know, two or three memories about this movie from your childhood. Yeah. Okay. So, well, one, I guess for me, this movie kind of has a... Uh, a warm place in my heart just because these were this this was really the first black family of superheroes that i saw on screen Mm -hmm. um and the protagonist was around my age at the the first time i watched it so i think that was really uh really transformative because being a little nerd loving x-men loving 
video games, all these things where I see yeah. people with superpowers seeing someone that looks like me and that like looks looks like me because they're also as young as me. Like that was pretty cool. Like, yes, I felt like I felt like I was running around the house thinking like up up and away. Luckily, I did not jump from any banisters. Someone that came from a two parent household. <laughs> yeah, uh... don't know what that's like, but yeah. The second thing I guess would be uh, it's it's kind of piggybacking off of that, but these are the first power black people I saw on screen, other than uh, the Queen Storm, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had some really cool powers. There was they they were definitely power. A lot of them were definitely powers you had seen before. So there was um, the flight. There was the super strength. There was the invulnerability. There was the super speed. But then there was like laser vision from yeah the, from the little dw sister and x-ray um, vision x-ray vision there was a uh, being able to being a technopath and being able to um not really a technopath because one of my issues with the movie because i always have issues of course um is you're right there's a lot of conflation of different uh, of, of a is. very complex and nuanced power yeah. system because mm-hmm. he was both like a technopath but also um, had electromagnetic abilities. Right. So not saying that both can't exist in one person. Right. But they're not the same thing. I would say that he is more of, yeah, maybe like an electromagnet of sorts. So he could work with um, different um, electric systems. Yeah. Whether that be technology or whether that be neur- uh, like neural. Yeah. Basically. So he could make people forget things because he would use his power on them. Yeah. So, like, I think that I thought that was really cool. And it kind of opened my mind to, like, other powers that were out there other than just, like, super speed and cryogenesis. Uh, sorry, cryokinesis um, from Iceman. I have, like, three more. No. I know you said two or three, but. Go ahead, dear. This is your childhood. <laughs> I'm just living in it. Uh, it was also surprisingly nuanced for its time. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, you mentioned the villains that were um, in the movie, but the villains dealt with this whole eco mission narrative mm-hmm. where for the for a good amount of the movie, the reason they were trying to control the children were so that the children could go around and stop littering and could start um, participating in composting and doing yeah. things that would help the earth. And then there was this one villain guy that broke off that you know showed his true true self that well you know well and as i think about it it was only really one villain who had that eco mission and she mm-hmm. also had the technology and the and the ability to create yeah. the technology that will allow them to brainwash the children to practice better habits and more eco-friendly behaviors and all that jazz and he just convinced her yeah he just used her yeah basically mm-hmm. yeah he just wanted to rob banks and get money but either way there was that nuance as you were there talking was, about there was there was that there as well yeah um also and like these are these are like not as deep but these are things that i definitely remember <laughs> from the film. not as deep these were not as deep but like what the fuck is zucchini bread and if you know what zucchini bread is and you've had it and you enjoy it i am sorry Look, I, to this day, I still have never had zucchini bread. I don't know if I want to try it. To me, it's like a not sweet banana bread. But mm-hmm. y'all need to stop messing with those shaped kind of fruits and putting them in breads. All I I'm going to say, agreed. All I'm going to say is that it will take uh, Tabitha from TikTok and Instagram on Tabitha. <laughs> yes. For her yes. to show me why zucchini and bread needs to be my business. Because it's your business. It's your business. I need to know why it should be my business. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right now... No. I'm no, still... ma'am. Mm-mm. No, no. I like my bread buttered. <laughs> buttered and toasted. That's it. Um, 
And the last thing would just be that there are a lot of weird... There's this weird sprinkling of references to other... Not other. I will just say Marvel and DC heroes throughout the <laughs> I film. I was going to say, we are not in danger of copyright infringement. <laughs> um, so you get references to Spider-Man and Mary Jane. And, and Superman. Superman. And it's like... Looking, maybe then I was, I didn't think anything of it, but looking back, I'm like, this doesn't, this is not right. And for more context, we watched this movie last week. And so that's also kind of what prompted this conversation. And it's like, in 2020, you're realizing ain't no way in hell they would be able to say that. I mean, look at this first set of iterations of the Marvel MCU. They couldn't say mutants. Exactly. For that reason. Exactly. There is no way in the world that Sherman, um from the good times could drop references to Spider-Man and Superman and not have somebody from uh, the almighty mouse knocking on that door. Right. The only thing I can think is that this movie came before Marvel really exploded in its, and comic books really exploded in their popularity. I mean, they've all, they've been popular. True. And more importantly, they came back from the throes of bankruptcy. <laughs> Oh. And financial ruin. That too. <laughs> because there was a time in the early odds where Marvel was not doing so hot and it sold off various properties to, um, it sold off Spider-Man to Sony. It sold yep. off uh, the X-Men to Fox to make the X-Men Fantastic Trilogy. Four. The Fantastic Four. It sold off Blade. Yep. Um, I forgot who produced Blade or who, uh, direct, no, who produced Blade. Um, but either way, the sentiment is that like, yeah, in the early aughts and late 90s, Marvel wasn't doing so well. Not sure how DC was doing, but that might explain why they were able to get away with so many uh, references. DC was putting uh, nipples on their suits. Oh, that was that age. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what y'all say. The uh, Batman with Uma Thurman and um, George Clooney was my favorite live action Let's movie. Let's also talk about that from the For the Culture section. Um, but thank you for those reflections from your childhood and how... You experienced this movie. I don't have any childhood memories. Because <laughs> he didn't have a what? Childhood. Of this, mem- of this movie. But what I have been reflecting on is its legacy and the black superhero content sphere. And what I have experienced in the last week or so thinking, you know, trying to research and find other people who've written about this. There are not too many folks uh, professional nerds, lay nerds, there aren't too many people who are talking about the anniversary of this, yeah. let alone um, what this property was and, and, and what it is. And I feel like there are a variety of reasons for that, which I would love your feedback on and mm-hmm. thoughts on. Mm-hmm. One, I feel like it's buried within the era of Disney and its most prolific output of Disney Channel original movies. So, Which really started the same year that this movie came out in the 2000s. I agree that there is a chance that it could be buried, especially before Disney Plus came out. But the second Disney Plus came out, there's no excuse. I mean, fair. That's but... how we saw it. Like, the reason we watched it was because, oh my God, it's like we can finally watch it again. Because I don't remember it airing at all past the 2000s. Very true. We could, did not could be have because it mentioned those Disney names Plus. that they shouldn't have mentioned from the Marvel and DC properties. But um, even when Disney Plus uh, premiered uh, or dropped, and then um, up up and away up up and away was available, you didn't get any like trending on Twitter like some other movies that that um, were on Disney Plus. So yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I feel like it's because during that time, Disney Channel was on its shit where it released movie after movie after movie. I mean, that year alone, you had Up, Up, and Away, The Color of Friendship, mm-hmm. Alley Cats on Strike, Rip Girls, Miracle in Lane 2, Stepsister from the Planet Weird, Ready to Run, Quince, The Other Me, Mom's Got a Date with a Vampire, which I know you have a, a labyrinth of, of memories no, oh, um, all these. I, I remember every single one. Phantom of the Megaplex, the ultimate yeah. Christmas present. And so this was definitely during a time where folks were month after month being inundated mm-hmm. with Disney Channel original movie content. So it does not surprise me that folks can't recall original memories of this movie, let alone use it as a foundation or a spark for re-engaging with this content 20 years later. Thinking back, I don't know how they did that. How do you how do you put in your schedule that you're going to have a different, a new original movie release every single month for a, a year? And, so, and, and it, they continue to do it after it too. They, they, yeah, they most definitely did. I feel like that was definitely a production feat. But as far as writing um, innovative and unique stories, no, but, that wasn't happening. True. But so that allowed them to rinse... Uh, to wash, rinse, and repeat. Yeah, I mean, and you're washing, you're you're um you're writing for children, mm-hmm. so you know put a put a pony in front of them, and, <laughs> and they'll like be like, woo. When I was an um, iPad and a TikTok challenge, exactly. So yeah, it, it's different these days. Uh, well, that connects yeah. me to my second thing as to why I think it's not being talked about as much is because it's really, well, one, a lovely piece of nostalgia, but because of all these other things within this period of Disney Channel original movies, how can anyone recall, unfortunately so, this one movie? And then when they do, those of us who do this kind of critical analysis of this kind of content, are they going to be less inclined to re-engage or less inclined to look at it with the kind of level of appreciation that we're doing right now because it might be part of this or might be perceived as being part of this like 90s early aughts multiculturalist project that was more concerned about representation and less concerned about telling like (laughs) the real authentic stories of black and brown communities and other communities who have not always been centered in these narratives, especially because that was during the time writ large in our popular culture where we were about telling these stories of multicultural representation, telling the diversity stories, um, not necessarily telling the inclusion stories. And when it was about inclusion, it very much was about the inclusion into a project that uh, was whiteness of the different color. Mm. Or privileged with a different color. Mm-hmm. I mentioned 2.5 uh, kids and, you know, the two-parent home. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. For a reason. It's... I feel like the 0.5 in reality was was three kids. Yeah. And this movie very much uh, illustrated that or yeah. brought that to, to life. Mm-hmm. Not to mention it had the color of friendship right after. In February. Yay. So we didn't really have time to appreciate this family when we were retelling then, the story of apartheid. And like, right. Of all the things to tackle, let's let's tackle apartheid. February, um, Black History Month. You're right. They did. That's right. That's why they did it. I remember, and they would play once, it every once Black again. History Month, and I was like, "This, I get it. Yes, I get it. I get it. This is just like my friend Martin. <laughs> I get it. We can watch it every every time it comes around. But pl- can you do some new content? Like, can you give me no, a new no, movie? No, 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 no. It was this? all about, like, like I keep saying, it was all about this multiculturalist project that was, uh, on one hand, brought some very much 
needed an important representation on screen. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it also was there to make white folks feel better about the natural flow of process that the arc of justice it bent, mm-hmm. bitch, it bent, and we were going. And then you have things like Johnny Tsunami, and you have things like Wendy Wu. Yes, and uh, yes, I mean, I guess even Luck of the Irish a little bit, you know. Fair. Well, the other thing, not to switch gears too sharply on you, but the other thing that I think is really um, affecting the way this movie is being remembered and 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 critiqued and engaged in contemporary times is the fact that from a nostalgia perspective, we are a bit obsessed mm-hmm. with the eighties and the nineties sure right now. Yep. <laughs> yep. So sure am. I feel like the majority of our collective uh, ability to engage deeply, fondly, is a bit occupied right now. Yeah, give me the 80s any day, all day. So, um, maybe we'll get there with the early, two th- early 2000s. Maybe. The early 2000s was a weird time. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think we can skip as someone who... I feel like had the the bulk of their childhood during that time. Yeah. Um, I think we can skip, but you know. Well, it's hard because also 9-11 happened in 2001. And so that makes any kind of fond remembering of the early 2000s a bit difficult. Yeah. For a number of people. Literally changed Understandably so. so. Mm -hmm. Well, representational importance aside. Yes. But not minimized. Yes. I feel like the movie's strongest point is how it explores the theme of family and legacy. Um, the strongest of which I think is the illustration of how status exacerbates expectations and real responsibilities of living up to legacy and carrying it out. And look no farther than that damn birthday party scene and how that kind of cemented the stakes of how uh, fictional Mike, I mm-hmm. forgot his name. How he Scott 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 mm-hmm. shows you how much I like this movie. Yes, how Scott lived up, <laughs> had to live up to his, his family. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who have not seen it in a while, um, and just for general or awareness, ever. right, right. The scene kind of went like this. So it is his fifteenth, fourteenth birthday. Um, it is his fourteenth birthday, and. It is the day of it. Every superhero from all four corners of the globe, because back then we still described the globe as four corners. All of four America, corners of the globe. There were no, <laughs> there were no international people. heroes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so every superhero from around the from around the world, tri-state area. <laughs> yes. Descended upon this one nondescript house in Illinois. A ranch. Uh, no, it wasn't a ranch. It wasn't a ranch. No, baby, it was oh. very suburban. I'm surprised you didn't recognize it. That's your entire childhood. I mean, I've lived in both. So, <laughs> Lord, yes. Um, so they all descended upon this this house and 14th birthday party. Today is the day where he comes out. Um, as a fully recognized hero, he's becoming a hero, a man, and the person to carry on his family's legacy. Mm-hmm. Every hero is there from, uh, Peppermint Patty, Andromeda, Captain Planet. I'm naming random people because they could too. Dynamite. Look, yeah. everybody who was any kind of superhero was there for... Except Peter Parker and Mary J because they were too busy they, to yes. answer the invitation. <laughs> and they literally said in this movie. So... During this scene, uh, Scott is definitely dreading taking the oath of service, so to speak. 
But he's thinking about what his grandfather told him two minutes before the scene before about how his dad will always love him. So he needs to tell his dad that he does not have superpowers. Not necessarily call this thing off, but like share with him that he does not indeed have the power of flight, all that jazz, and it will be perfectly fine. A hero does not lie. Exactly. And also a hero can take many forms, not always a super powered person. Yeah. So he tells him that and Scott is trying his best to tell his dad, hey, like, can I talk to you? But when he brings it up, he is also getting ready to take the oath in front of everyone. Everyone is silent. Everyone is looking around as to why Scott hasn't said the oath yet. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to say this shit. Get it done. We'll talk about it later. Mm -hmm. So he says the oath. Everyone is super proud of him. Um, And then there's another event that happens where he has to go off and save this white woman. Yes. That's essentially (laughs) the scene. That is the scene. But what's really happening, if you kind of look deep into what's going on here. well, Well, first of all, let's just start off with this family is... They're pretty much the only POC people in this scene. Yes. Um, I think there's a sprinkling of others, but like for the majority of this party, the people are are very white. Um, and Scott is this, he's, you know, he's celebrating his superhero coming of age bar mitzvah, if you will. Yes. Um, yes. But it's really just a way for his father, at least to him, it's really just a way for his father to show off scott to his two other superhero friends Mm -hmm. um and his father being the number one hero that's out there obviously has to have the number one family so to scott who hasn't developed any powers yet and probably won't develop any powers ever that means that he has to fake it Mm -hmm. or else his whole world is just going to start crumbling down around him yeah because there's no way that his family and especially his dad will be proud of him if he does not have any powers. He won't, he's not a part of this family anymore. Yeah. And I feel like crucial to this scene being the strongest illustration of the dynamic of family and legacy is the presence of everyone there to bear witness. Yeah. To his stepping up to the plate. Exactly. And the very fact that everyone is there means that this is official. This is legit. Scott is there to take on this family legacy, which connects to this third point the bestowal of his name. <laughs> it is a combination of his Damn. dad's superhero name and his mom's name. So his dad's superhero name is the Bronze Eagle. His mom's name is Wonder Woman? No, it's not Wonder no, Woman. No. It is Warrior Woman. Warrior Woman. So uh Who thought of these names? People who didn't want to step too far to the pool of copyright infringement. Warrior Woman? Look, it's fine. Bronze Eagle? They can so, even be a gold eagle? His name is now the Bronze Warrior. It is the adjoining of two families. I was going to make a quote about Shakespeare, but I forgot it. <laughs> Both like and dignity and what? Yes, I know what you're saying. Lovely. <laughs> yes. So it is that <laughs> happening there. All these things, the very fact that he is going through this rite of passage, the presence of everyone to bear witness to the rite of passage, mm-hmm. and the very fact that the culmination of this moment is the little adoption, the joining together of a legacy, two powerful legacies. I mean, Which, that there fully encapsulates the dynamics of family and legacy, and why I think it's the strongest illustration and representation of that, like, of that theme in this movie. And now that I think about it, how does his older brother feel? Fine. No, I mean, yes, oh. I know. But um, his older brother has powers. His younger sister has powers. But when his older brother's powers showed up and they had 
obviously they had the same ceremony for him. Yeah. That's how it goes. They didn't give him, like, the combined name. You know? For two reasons. Three reasons, actually. One, his powers manifested before then, and so his powers wouldn't make sense to... He wouldn't be the bronze warrior because he does not have super strength in flight. The the combination of the two names because uh, he had his dad's flight and his mom's super strength. Yes. Even though the dad also has super strength, as evidenced by him pushing the, the van yeah. back in the opening scenes. So there's that. The other thing is that um, his powers manifested at a weird time. Uh, sorry, I'm talking about Scott. You're right. Back to Homeboy, mm-hmm. the older brother. The older brother, yes. Also, he he's the firstborn. That is all he needs. True. That is true. all he freaking needs. He's he the firstborn. He can do whatever born. he wants. Exactly. Uh, and then third being, it is a Disney Channel original movie. We're not doing this nuance. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really. Period. They really didn't think and about And we this. damn sure ain't doing this nuance in January of 2000. Yeah. We have Color of Friendship in February. We ain't got time. True. We don't have the time or true. the bandwidth or the range to true, do it. True, true, true. But <laughs> that aside, I still think that everyone who is interested in the legacy and history or just the enjoyment of seeing black superheroes on screen, especially black families on screen, definitely go watch this movie. It needs to be talked about more as part of the the canon. Yeah. Of uh, this subsect, but still very real uh genre of content that mm-hmm. we all come to know and love and to really put this in conversation with hell i guess contemporary examples of black superior families like black lightning and how that is fraught with yeah. nuance and fraught with uh with tension and, and and legacy and lived experiences and expectations and responsibilities all these things that's the one thing i love about it if whether it's up up and away or black lightning or you know whatever you you still find yourself in those films because they are, and I'm not just talking about like physical representation, but you know, mannerisms, sayings, like all these type of things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You, you find yourself in that film. You hear your family and your history in, in those films. Um, and, th- and this one, this one really does, I think, stick up to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's on Disney plus enjoy. So now you have Mike's mobile video game. <laughs> yes. Penny dreadful diapers what else do you have wasn't there one other thing that we said you were gonna i feel like there's something else yeah i mean you you didn't buy that book yet but you said you wanted to buy that wow so it being your own house (laughs) either way you have a number number of recommendations to get you through this time dune Dune. yes who could forget dune god knows we haven't forgotten um so we also have dune so you have a lovely set of recommendations to get you through this quarantine time for the next and the next couple of weeks yeah. Until we're back here with more suggestions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So in closing, uh, we like to do, at least for now, this yes. section called Thank You for Being a Friend. Yeah. Where we highlight people that are uh, spreading love and light during this time of darkness. Yes. And for some of you, isolation. For all of us, isolation? No. Some people have roommates, some people have family. Oh, fair. You're right. Yeah, some people are actually alone. Yeah. (laughs) So this week, we're talking about actor J. August Richards, who, one, uh, played Charles Gunn in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff, Angel. And he also played uh, Mike Peterson, a.k.a. Deathlock, in Agents of Mm S.H.I.E.L.D. 
Well, guess what, y'all? Um, he is a friend of Dorothy. Mary? She's a right Mary. Yes, she is. Uh, she came out as gay at the age of 46, so mm-hmm. just recently. Mm-hmm. He's currently in Council of Dads on NBC, where he's married to another man. And apparently, this is what prompted him to come out. Yes. So in the show, he plays Oliver. Oliver's a doctor and married to another black gay professional. Whoa. First right. off. Um, and also, they have a they have a daughter. How many times, how often, how, how however, do you see that uh, that representation on film? I mean, do you know, screen? when I saw that he was married, I was like, there is a white twink named Oliver that, yes. on the other side of that relationship. You don't even have to say twink. Just like, a, there's a white man a on white the man, other side of that a relationship. A white man named Oliver, yes. yes. Yeah, but the fact that he's married to another black man, mm-hmm. and the fact they have a daughter together. Yes. Yeah. Not knocking interracial relationships, family. but definitely want to see more of the diversity of... Uh, queer relationships on screen that does mm-hmm. not just involve a black man and a white man. Yes. But in a recent interview on Instagram, uh, Richard said that he could not portray a gay man honestly without letting the cast and crew of this show know that he was gay as well. Which really ladders back up to why he got involved in acting to begin with, which was to combat oppression. And so the show required him to fully live in his authenticity to authentically portray this character in all of its vibrancy and beauty and glory. I think that's great. I mean, he goes from being the only black character on Angel. Yeah. <laughs> to playing an out gay man in a in a loving family. Like I think that's a great. And and he's also kicked a lot of ass along the way. So I think that's that's great. It's amazing. We love to see it. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome sis. with open arms. We love you. Welcome, girl. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I think we're done. That's it for this episode? Yeah. All right. Once again, thanks for listening, y'all. We hope you enjoyed the news, the conversation, and the rough edits. Please rate and review generously. And remember to follow us on Twitter at This Is The Ink, all lowercase, and on our Instagram at This underscore is underscore the underscore ink, all lowercase. All right, y'all. So go share with your friends family and undecided. See See you you next next time. time.